masters of science have shown a great light on us all. Tie in me the path of your shadow that offers a wondrous call where promises lead us to ruin. A kiss can drive you to your grave. We leap off the edge of tomorrow and sink to the depths of today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Too Stupid to Know I Can't. I'm Roger, your host, and today I am super excited because I get to interview the one and only Jeremy Berman of Q Drum Company out of Southern California. I think they make some of the most incredible drum shells on the planet. They're made out of metal, they are absolutely exquisite instruments, and everyone is truly unique. During this episode, Jeremy and I talk a little bit about why Q-Drum does what it does, where Jeremy came from and how the idea for Q-Drum came to life. We also touch on his cycling history and how we kind of crossed paths over the years without actually realizing it. We talk a little bit about the NAM show and kind of perspective on the future of things and the music industry in general. Plus, we get to just have a great time chatting about things we like, which are drums. So sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Too Stupid to Know I Can't. Let's see, you, you reached out to me and it was 4.30 in the morning. It's barely 9.30 in the morning. You've been up for, for what, two hours? So you've had three hours of sleep? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I mean, I've probably got like four hours of sleep because I've, I've been up since two. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy. You know, we, we flew in from uh, from London yesterday. We got in at like seven in the morning and uh, had to stay up as much as I could yesterday. Finally crashed out about like nine, nine thirty. Actually, probably more like 10. And then uh, our load-in for the show is 1 a.m. in the t- today or tomorrow. So, yeah, being up at 2 a.m., I-, I have to, you know, at least after this, I'll, I'll just pass out. <laughs> Go back to sleep for like a few more hours? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll pass out after, after our, um, our, little, our little podcast action and then... Uh, and get ready for a fun-filled day of F1 and music. Well, I would like to take a moment to say thank you for joining us on Too Stupid to Know That I Can't. And I would, <laughs> and I would love to introduce the legendary Jeremy Berman of Q-Drum Company out of Los Angeles, California. And... Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm uh, I'm excited to do this. I, I saw, uh, you know, I know you did I, you did a podcast with uh, Bill over at Pork Pie, and Bill's awesome, and, you know, that was a great podcast, and kind of uh, got a little jealous. I'm like, when am I going to get the phone call? <laughs> well, I sent you guys all the email at the same time, but I know you have a tendency mm-hmm. to be all over the world. Yeah. And yeah, I'm terrible with emails. I'll 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 be the first to admit it. <laughs> well, you know, when you're trying to run a company and maintain a busy tech life and family life and 
you're living in the mountains now and the business is down still in the city, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got travel every direction you go. Yep. That's yep, no doubt about that. That is rough at best. Um, you know, I, I, I get a lot of peace and, and tranquility when I'm driving or when I'm traveling, cause you just, there's nothing you can do. So you just have to sort of Zen out a little bit and, it's a good place to think, good place to listen to podcasts, listen to music, you know? So let's touch on that briefly. You, sure. not only are you founder, owner of Q-Drum Co., mm-hmm. but you're also a very renowned drum tech. And and we don't need to wadir who it is or what it is, but you spend a lot of time having to travel. Yes, tons. And now, this let's just take this last leg of touring where have you been and how long have you been on the road oh shit well you know obviously currently i'm with uh the band muse we started the campaign for their newest album simulation theory Mm -hmm. we started we started in february of this year um actual touring you know there's some promo uh, dispersed between, you know, October and December and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was two, um, complete tours of the United States. Um, both were like four to five weeks apiece. And then, um, we went to, we flew to Europe and, um, middle of May and, um, basically did three months solid of Europe. Um, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's everywhere. I mean, Scandinavia, we all went up to Russia, uh, you know, down, down to Italy and France and Spain and Portugal and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, and then, and, and that was massive. That was, you know, doing stadiums, um, which is really cool. That was my first experience working in stadiums and then um had about a week or had about a month and a half off and uh went back to the uk and europe to do some smaller shows film a dvd and then flew to singapore which is where i am now um and i'll get home on sunday i'll be home for about four or five days and then we head to south america and that'll be it that'll be the end of the tour and that's kind of that's kind of typical for a uh, for a full tour, um, full album campaign. You know, typically it's about eighteen months, sometimes a little less. Uh, we'll have gone solid. I've been under contract for about a solid year, so wow, that's good. Yeah. Now, I am. I will be the first to say I have been enamored with q drums since long before we ever opened the drum shop i had known your name in passing in two separate industries then lo and behold you know here we are you made mention that this has been your first kind of stadium tour yeah when you're because we all know well those of us that are in the know the person you're working for doesn't like to talk about what gear he uses. 
Uh, no, I, I, I beg to differ. I mean, I, has, he, has he gotten he, better about it? You know, he's always great about talking about his gear when it comes to press. Um, okay. We don't fly a logo on the bass drum head, which doesn't bother me at all. I mean, obviously, when you're endorsed by a company, the companies typically demand that there's some sort of logo presence. But I don't come from the business side of the drum business. I come from the tour side. I come from the builder side. And I've worked for so many drummers that are just like, you know, it's not the drummer's call. It's the production's call. It's, it's, do they want to see that on cameras? Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and a lot of times there's artwork on the bass drum and the logo, you know, doesn't really match it for me. I don't, I don't care. It's, it's okay. If somebody if somebody looks at the drums or hears the drums and says, damn, those sound amazing or they look amazing, what the hell were those? They know who the drummer is. They're going to find out what he's playing. And, and I know that because I, I've, got, I've gotten emails and, and phone calls from that kind of um, interaction. And, um, you know, I'm not too concerned about it. I don't need to have a giant cue floating out there all day long. It's all right, you know. Um, but yeah, he's, that's the only thing that he, you know, it's sometimes he's fine with it and sometimes he's not. And, and, uh, most of the time, you know, again, in, in press, he's very adamant about what he plays and he does talk very highly of our drums, which is awesome. I, I didn't expect that, you know, well, I don't, I, I mean, I don't expect that from anybody to be, to be fair. So, you know, um, and, and it's, it's just, it's kind of cool. This this particular tour obviously is is unique because we tried a few different things that we haven't done um, in a long time. Uh, mainly f- fusing shells, uh, um, wood and acrylic. Um, Max and I were doing that back in uh, 2001 with Orange County Drum and Percussion. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Max uh, Kizor, who's uh, my shop manager, uh, he and I worked at Orange County Drum for, I don't know, 12, the 15 heyday. years. Yeah, together. the heyday. Yeah. Like the best yeah. of years. Yeah. And, uh, and once um, the custom side of that uh, company was no longer, um, you know, he, he came over to Q and it was awesome. It's great. I, I, that's the only reason why I still continue to tour is because I can leave and with full confidence know that whatever's being built is built exactly the way I would build it. And oh, sometimes even better, you know, because he's in the shop day in and day out and he he's changed up a few of our techniques on how to build and it just makes them better, stronger, um, you know, cleaner. And that's just something that comes with with time with working with um, the production side of it. So, well, it, it's funny that you you bring up your history. We're going to get to that in, in a little bit. Where I want to kind of touch on is, I believe your instruments to be some of the best ever created. I appreciate that. Um, I've owned and played everybody's gear. But there yeah. is something extraordinarily special about your metal shells that 
my words can only describe to so much, but I want to, I want to go back a little bit to you working in a stadium right now with these mm-hmm. incredible shells. Are you as, as Dom's tech, are you tuning differently? Are you, did you build different sizes to accommodate the stadium? Are you doing different depths? Are you, mixing some of the metal materials differently? Like, are you doing a different metal kick drum versus a different metal for the rack toms and floor toms? Are you like, what's different about this? We actually, for the stadium tour, believe it or not, we decided to go for, um, we, we wanted to use wood, um, on the record. Uh, we used a combination of copper drums, mahogany drums, and then uh, some birch drums. And okay. the birch drums were incredible. So and it's something that we've offered, we've always offered. But what we did is we, we tried to build them very, very similar to like uh, Yamaha Recording Customs from the 80s, which, okay. to be perfectly honest, are some of my favorite sounding drums ever made. Um, especially for recording, which is why yep. they call the recording custom, funny enough. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, we, use, we use those quite a bit on the record. And so going forward, we wanted to, we wanted to, you know, mimic those sounds. And um, so his drum kit now is Birch. Sizes are, he, he's very particular about his sizes. Um, when I first started, he was, he, he had to play a 22. He plays a, a deep 12 inch rack tom, typically a 10 by 12. Um, he was using a 14 inch floor tom and a 16 inch floor tom, and then a, um, auxiliary, like a gong bass drum, like an 18. Um, but he, you know, he checked out one of my 24s. Um, we have, a, we have a kit. It's funny. We have a kit at the shop that we call the shop beater. Um, it's infamous. I mean, it's, it's a mahogany kit. It's been on more recordings than any drum kit that I own. I mean, we're talking hundreds of recordings. It's been around the world, but <laughs> it's been around the world with some of our artists that have taken it to borrow it and check it out. I mean, this thing has literally seen it all and it's still beautiful, still sounds amazing. Um, anyway, so it has a 24 and I, you know, I let him check it out. And he's like, I think I could, I think I want to go with the 24. So, um, the last album cycle that we did, uh, he used a copper kit and that's when we, that's when we started him on a 24. And, um, so he's using a 16 by 24, a nine by 12 with the 24. So he can get the rack tom low enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 16 by 16 and then the 16 by 18 concert tom slash gong drum. I, I think it's more of a concert tom personally because it doesn't have uh, the flared out uh, head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's it's a tight little package and it sounds awesome. The 24 is massive. Um, works great with his with, with their music. Uh, but we but we didn't really go into it thinking, okay, well, we're going to do stadiums. We need to do something bigger or whatever. I mean, remember, it, everything's closed mic, close mic anyway, so it doesn't really matter. It's going to be the sound of what it is. Um, but, we did, but we did build some very unique 
drums where they're they're birch shells with a center of acrylic um and you know um i put led tape inside of it and it looks like there's these two lines that just glow and change color with however the production sees fit and it's it's really 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 cool um and on top of that we built um probably the biggest bass drums i've ever built in my life uh they're five feet tall uh orchestral bass drums two of them so what? 60 inch, yeah 60 inch bass drums that are acrylic uh frosted and they light up and they are bright and it's unbelievable so um we have two of those and then we have a, a whole slew of floor toms um that also light up for various parts of the set um a clear stand-up kit uh down down on the b stage which is sort of in the center um yeah lots and lots and lots of drums holy shit yeah so that's that's definitely a big change from when we were doing arenas because arenas you know uh on the last tour cycle the drum cycle it was just his drum kit and maybe an electronic pad of some sort um in various places on the on the stage and uh and this time around they're like okay we want lots of drums <laughs> and i was like sure wow. no problem we got you covered so yeah the 16-inch bass drums are special they're very special um remo was kind enough to make us some uh um massive drum heads i think it's the the biggest drum head that they offer uh so yeah it was it was it was a fun project and it's been a great tour um you know reception has been incredible um they're playing amazing and yeah i'm, I'm gonna be a little sad to see it finish do you by slim chance do you have any kind of production photos or any of this regarding muse that maybe we could uh maybe you could send a couple we can get them posted we can kind of share some of this creation because there's a lot of people that a may not like muse but b may not ever get to a chance to see this kind of production of drums or this type of right. tour um and maybe it's a good way to kind of showcase some of the other specialty things that you guys are capable of given the opportunity well the cool thing is is um a couple days ago in london we we filmed um a dvd um, oh sweet obviously yeah, which obviously isn't out yet, but uh, I, and I'm not sure what the what their thought is as far as release date. But as soon as there is release date, uh, I will definitely get that to you. Um, I have to, I have posted photos. Um, I posted actually a little video the other day of um, the the massive bass drums while Dom was playing it during the set. Um, but yeah, we have we have his drum kit uh, also on um instagram and facebook and all that kind of stuff so if, oh, you, if you're looking if you're looking for it definitely go check it out there and um we'll have a link to the dvd as soon as it's out so you can hear them and see them and in all their glory well we'll go ahead and post your social media links inside of the show notes as well that way people can check all that stuff out cool that's that's in a 60 inch acrylic orchestral bass drum yeah yeah, yeah, it was nuts, absolutely nuts. I don't so, even have words for that. Like, massive. <laughs> that comes up. That comes up to my shoulder, but only your pec. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, we you know it's it, it's funny because we had to build the stand that they sit in as well, um, and it had to be fully tour ready. Um, luckily, Max is uh, a pretty great welder, so he welded the base of this massive stand, and then we built uh, an aluminum cage that the drum can kind of um, tilt in, and then we we put a cage to keep it you know from getting damaged while it travels and. It's yeah, it's it's super cool, super cool. That's insanity. Well, now let's let's take a let's take a walk back in the time machine and let's go back to you made mention that you and Max were both at Orange County Drum and Percussion years uh, ago. So let's just say it's been two decades now. Yeah. Al- so about, almost almost on the money. Yeah. And I had heard your name and just kind of the the mad scientist in you from a few friends out of Southern California when I was still in that arena. But kind of, can you give an explanation? What did you see on the horizon when you decided my time here is done? It's time to do something different. It's time to maybe move on to the next phase of life. Like what were some of those kind of moments or maybe reality checks that you experienced? Well, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I started touring in 2004. Um, and I started working at Orange County Drum in 1998 or 99. And, uh, and because of Orange County Drum, I, I was picked to go to start touring, which was, which was phenomenal because most it's not an easy industry to get in. You don't like send in a resume or anything like that. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and I could go on tour, come back and build drums, go back on tour, come back and build drums. It was, it was the perfect, the perfect scenario. Um, I, the band I was working for at the time was Nine Inch Nails. And it was like early 2008, I want to say like maybe January, February of that year, and he had just put uh, Trent had just put out this album called Ghosts, and it's this really weird organic, mm-hmm. oh yeah, uh, instrumental um, album or set of albums, and there's a lot of really unique sounds on it, um, percussion sounds and and all that, and he, in the show he wanted uh, he wanted a specific sound, and he wanted a basically a junk drum kit and so i i had a piece of galvanized and i uh galvanized steel that i thought i was going to turn into like some shitty symbol and uh we're we're at the shop max and i are looking at this thing like this thing just doesn't sound good as a symbol and we want it to sound shitty but it just doesn't sound good as something that would sound shitty so <laughs> you know and i'm like okay well well fuck what am i gonna do now um i, I still don't have a bass drum this piece is long enough to make a bass drum let's let's make a bass drum and put some wood reinforcement rings in it to give it some structural rigidity and see what happens you know it doesn't have to be pretty it just has to have a sound and 
and uh, we we riveted the the seam because that's all we could do at the time, especially with galvanized. You don't want to be welding that stuff. And uh, we threw some re-rings in it, built it up, and it was like, wow, this thing sounds really good. I don't know if this is going to work. So I took it into rehearsals, and uh, it was exactly that. It's like, that doesn't sound shitty enough. We need something trashy. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, but one of the one of the other techs who happens to be a producer as well he he kind of took me aside he said hey man what's what's up with that bass drum do you think you could build an entire kit like that and uh and i said absolutely so i i built my buddy matt uh matt mitchell he 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 i met him first as a tech um but he he's done a lot of stuff i mean he's the mains um songwriter uh for the band called pussifer which is maynard from tool oh, yeah. um, oh, he yeah. does a lot of there's a lot of recording for maynard especially with the newest tool album he did all of his vocals and all that stuff but anyway so i i built this drum kit for matt um that he wanted to use on uh the pussifer the first pussifer tour with uh gil sharon and this was an ocdp you know um galvanized steel kit and we built it, and the thing just sounded magical. It was ridiculous. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like this just spur-of-the-moment idea that kind of popped up. And just we had to make something work. And and it sort of spawned this whole idea of um, what was possible. Uh, fast forward, you know, a couple years. And uh, I no longer work in Orange County drum because there's not there wasn't a custom drum shop anymore. I mean, they they were uh, importing drums um, for the masses. And uh, I was working for another artist and the drummer, um, Adam Marcello, he uh, he was endorsed by a company called Shine. Oh, yeah, I um, remember. I don't, which I don't believe is around anymore. Oh, no. Long gone. And, and I get in. I've never met any of these people before. I got the call to do this this uh, this gig from a production manager who happened to be a friend of mine and was looking to put together a team. And so he called me in. I meet Adam. Adam tells me, hey, I've got this new drum kit coming. It's frosted acrylic. It lights up. And I'm like, okay. You know, I've done plenty of those. And the kit shows up, and the kit itself was fine. The shells and the hardware and all that, but the lighting was just horrendous. And I, there was just not, there was no way in hell that I would have been able to tour this thing the way it was, the way it was wired. It was, it used uh, Romex wiring, which is stuff that you put in the walls of your what? house. You know, like solid core, solid core copper. And I'm just like, okay, this this just isn't gonna work. And so I I pulled the whole thing apart, rewired it um, to make it, you know, tour ready. And the artist asked for a second drum kit. And Adam comes to me, he's like, hey man, I need a second drum kit. I'm gonna call Shine. I'm gonna have them build the exact same thing. Cool. And I said, no, <laughs> not cool. Do me a favor. Let's just let me build you a drum kit. So I can just wire it right from the get-go. I can build an acrylic drum kit. It'll be fine. And, and he was a little hesitant, you know. And I said, it, it's all good. I'll make it. I'll make it 
it'll be fine. I promise. So finally he let me do it. I built him this kit and, uh, I cut the edges the way I cut edges. So it's, it was definitely different, um, than the shine kit. Um, obviously used different hardware. I mean, it just, it looked and sounded unbelievable. And so I brought it in and that became his favorite drum kit. And there was no logos on it. There was no nothing. It was just, you know, blank. And uh, Adam just kept bugging me. He's like, you should start your own company. I'll be your first endorser. And I was just like, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. It's kinda, you know, I was kind of burnt from that whole thing. And then he kept, he kept asking me. And finally, one day, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Why not? It sounds fun. So because of Adam pushing me, I, I, started, I started Q. And one of the things that I wanted to do with Q, it is I didn't want to go down the same road that I'd already been down for, how, you know, however many years. Half and your life. Yeah, I just, I didn't want, I didn't want the same old thing. So, uh, we changed up how we built stuff. We went to more traditional sizes because, you know, back in the Orange County drum days, I mean, everything was 22 by 22, 20 by 24, uh, shallow toms like seven by 12 which sound which sound great they sound fine it's just not it's just not for me and and i had been doing so a ton of session work and every time i'd bring in my personal orange county kit which were those sizes the producer would say okay that's cool what else do you got and and i just it got to a point where i started realizing what they wanted were vintage drums it had nothing to do with the Orange County thing, it had nothing to do with the sizes because the drums sounded great. I can tune them. Wasn't, that wasn't the issue. But they just wanted some, they wanted a, a different vibe and they wanted the vintage vibe, you know? And I was like, okay, so what makes these drums so sought after? And I just, you know, I started picking up um, old sets here and there and just kind of digging into them to see what made them tick. And I, I would say I modeled what what Q is after a lot of um, uh, different vintage kits, uh, but mainly just the sizing. I, I didn't. I just wanted to stick to traditional sizes. They're just easier to get cases for, um, easier to tune. The edges that I do are the same edges that I've always done, um, even on Orange County drums, and and it's because they work. Uh, and it's something that I've always um, enjoyed working with. I mean, I've, I've worked with a billion other companies' kits, and, and I've always, every time I've gone back to whatever kit I've built that has the edges that we cut, uh, it just it's so much easier for me to tune and to manipulate the way I want it to, what I want to. They just, they're so much more versatile. So... Um, so that's what I started doing with Q is we started going more classic sizes and all that. And at some point we decided to introduce the metal because I just, I thought that that galvanized kit was so special. Uh, and my buddy, Matt, again, hit me up for a, the, a, another Pussifer tour that was coming up. And he said, Hey, do you think you could do a copper drum kit? And I was like, well, shit, 
I think I can. Why not? Let's try it out. And so <laughs> I built the first copper kit the same way I built the galvanized and he still has them. Um, and they sound amazing. And that was kind of the, that was kind of the catalyst. So I, I blame Adam Marcella for me starting the company and I blame Matt Mitchell for us doing metal. <laughs> it's pretty much that simple. All my well, problems fall on two, on two people. Well, but good problems to have. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, and, and again, it's, you know, it's something that sets us apart, uh, from all the other manufacturers and it's our own thing, you know, and, and, uh, I'm really happy that we do it. Well, as a shop, you know, we don't carry any of your wooden shells. Yes. We, I do. We, we, <laughs> we, we prefer your metal shells because they are so amazing and they're so unique that no one offers anything like it. Now, you made mention of the bearing edges that you guys cut. I'm not yeah. going to ask you for trade secrets and I'm not going to ask you what truly differentiates your bearing edge from anybody else's, but maybe you could lend an oh, ear man. to other bearing edges that you've worked with that wouldn't have applied to what you were doing with Q-Drum. So, Listen, I, I'm going to tell you right now, nothing we do is a secret. I, I have, I've never been one of those people that feels that I have to patent the shit out of everything I do. Um, I can't talk about what I do. The thing is, the reason why drum industry has evolved as much as it has is people that is from people that share information. Yep. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to Bill over at, over at pork pie and asked him questions and got his input on stuff that I'm building for, for other people. And, you know, sure. There are those in the industry that are complete assholes and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and shall remain nameless for right now. And, and, and think that, you know, that what they, what they're offering isn't, or is completely, completely unique when it really isn't. I mean, it's not, you know, it's a cylinder with plastic stretched over it and you hit it with wooden dowels. Yep. That's all, that's all drums are, you know? So basically to answer your question, the edges that we cut. Um, which is an edge that I've cut for years and years. It's a 45 inner with what we call a radius outer. And now the radius isn't a full radius cut like uh, like like vintage drums. It isn't a huge back cut. It's just a little, just a little bit to. It's like maybe three plies, just to cup the inside of the head, and so your your head seats properly makes it easier to tune it takes off a little bit of that resonance because if you let's be honest if your drum resonates for days on end you're going to walk into a studio you're going to tune it you're going to think it sounds so good when you hit that floor tom but that engineer is going to say or the engineer and producer is going to say cool can you throw some moon gel on it can you put some tape on it can you do something because it's just taking off so having this this little radius back cut just softens a little bit of that that sustain it just helps it cut a little bit quicker and um and you just have a wider tuning range it just makes it so much easier to tune it up and tune it down you don't you're not stuck 
crank like a baseball bat edge if you want any tone out of it you have to crank it up if you you know or it's just going to be floppy um a really sharp like dual 45 i've never really found those to be very versatile um and and that's the name of the game you know you want that versatility uh i know i know i mean every drummer i know has you know a slew of snare drums because those are easy and you can bring them in and you have all these different sounds but how many drummers do you know have multiple drum kits for the different scenarios that they're in they don't usually because that's that's a lot of room to take up drum kits are expensive so you want your one drum kit to be as versatile as possible you know and that's that's our goal if you're going to buy one drum kit from us we want to make sure that it will do everything that you want it to do and more. So I mean, kind it sounds of a like Swiss a sales, Army knife. Yeah, it sounds like a sales pitch, but it's not. It's 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 the truth. I mean, you should be able to do everything with your one kit, and with, with the exception of the snare drum. You know, snare drum is a very unique voice. I mean, I've got probably thirty of them myself. So, well, now let's let's take that notion a step further. If you were to take your various metal shells, brass, steel, stainless, galvanized, copper, and aluminum, yeah, is there a way that maybe you could illustrate their similarities to a wooden shell to maybe just provide at least some sort of comparative notes in case somebody hasn't ever heard a Q-drum, which uh, blows Absolutely. my mind if Absolutely. they haven't. Absolutely. Well, you know, I would start with the biggest misconception uh of our of our metal drums can't speak for anybody else's metal drums but i'm going to speak for our metal drums good they're not as heavy as you think they are no they are not and that's sort of the beauty of it they are very easy to cart around they're about as heavy as a as a standard mahogany one of our mahogany kits that's fair uh, i would agree with that yeah, it's not a, you know, thin maple kits are pretty light. This is, you know, a mahogany kit is, has a little more weight to it, um, which adds a lot to its sound. Um, so our metals are very similar to that, that weight. Uh, the construction of our shells, it's a really thin gauge metal. So it's like, uh, depending on the... Yeah, depending on the particular um, material, copper and brass are 24 ounce, which is close to 24 gauge, which is almost um, one millimeter thick. Okay. Maybe a little bit more. Um, the stainless steel and the galvanized steel, um, we do 20 gauge, which is like a millimeter and a half. So we do a little bit thicker with those. Uh, we just find that it works better. Um, we use wood reinforcement rings um, for two reasons. Number one, structural rigidity of the shell. That's how we're able to use such thin material. But also because we want the warmth of the, we, we want the attack to have the warmth of the wood. We don't want the attack to have um, that metal, metallic sound, um, which is cool for some things like snare drums. I think it's, I think it's uh, absolutely necessary on snare drum to have that that metal contact with the head. 
it gives you that zing that you're looking for that that crispy attack um but on a, on toms you want them to be full and you want them to be big and you want you know you you know what i mean i, I just don't think that having metal contact is you know necessary and um i mean i've had Ludwig stainless steel kits, like the you know the vintage seventy ones, which I thought sounded absolutely amazing. But they're one trick ponies. You can only oh god, yeah, you can only get one sound out of them. They sound very metallic. It. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Back to the versatility, man. You know, if you if you have the space and you have the money to own one of those kits along with all the other ones, you should have one. Absolutely. But if you're looking for, if you want something that has volume but you want it to also be usable in any situation, you know, try one of ours because you'll have the warmth of the wood, you have the fullness of the metal, um, and you'll have the volume of the metal. So it's pretty cool. Um, as far as the different materials go, you know, um, each one has its own place. Okay. Um, so maybe clarify that for the people that aren't familiar. Like, for example... I would kind of liken stainless to maybe being kind of a birch. It's a transparent material. It really loves whatever drum head you put on it. It's a little bit more cutting. De maybe it's definitely more cutting for sure. I think I think the the stainless and the brass are very similar in that they're both uh, very bright, okay. um, especially in in the attack. Uh, I th and I think they both sound great. I, again, they're they're brighter. Copper is much darker sounding. It sounds like a very um, very loud wood. Like a uh, maple, like a babinga. Where would you just again just trying to give people some kind of reference points? Well, it's definitely going to be more of a maple sound because again, our our wood reinforcement rings are all maple. So yep. you're gonna get you're gonna get that that warm attack as you would from a maple kit. And um, all you really get from the metal is the overtone, and the copper is definitely a darker, broodier kind of sound. It doesn't sound like a, any kind of wood. It just no. doesn't. It's copper. So I can't, I can't really liken it to another, another type of wood. Okay, um, fair enough. But the metal does accentuate whatever the maple does. So if using the maple re-rings, you get the warmth because maple drums are warm. They're beautiful. They're very tonal. Uh, they're not dry like birch. Um, so the copper, copper just kind of darkens it up a little bit. Brass brightens it a little bit and gives it a little bit of shimmer where stainless steel is bright, but it's, it's very clinical. Um, and then you bring, then we bring it up full circle to galvanize and galvanize is steel but because of the plating on it it has a very unique sound which in my opinion is the best of all the metals that we do um there's it's really dead the metal is um again that's the reason why we couldn't use it as a symbol the first time we ever started playing around with the metal is uh back in the old days and it's just it 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 just adds volume to the sound of the maple ray rings and so you get this wood kit on steroids and it's so awesome so full so big and so warm um 
for me, that's that's my go-to. Uh, when we go, when we do any sessions at all in LA or surrounding areas, and we're, we're asked to bring drums, we always bring our mahogany kit, the shop beater, and we bring our our shop galvanized kit, and they're interchangeable. You know, a lot of times we'll get guys that are like, "Cool, I want to use that mahogany kick drum because it's just." It's got more fluff to it than the galvanized, but I really want those galvanized toms because they're so big and so full and vice versa. If they want the galvanized kick drum just to be a little more focused, we'll throw some mahogany toms up just for a little softer note, you know? Um, but that, yeah, that's basically the differences between the metals that we use. Um, we don't do aluminum drum kits. We have, but we don't offer them. And it's something that didn't, it sounded great. It looked really cool. It just wasn't worth it to us to offer. Now you guys also do Q drum offers plate series snares. Yes. Which is if memory serves, it's a three millimeter material versus a 24 ounce or 24 gauge or 20 gauge. Yeah. So a three millimeter is like a, if anybody remembers like Tom Bell brass snare drums, that's like the, you know, the epitome of the snare, uh, the studio snare drum, the bell brass. I mean, you know, what a great snare drum that was. Um, that was a three millimeter shell. Uh, we do, we do three millimeter as well, or eighth inch thick. Um, we offer steel, brass, copper, and aluminum in that. Uh, all of them are riveted at the seam, just like our drum kits, um, uh -huh. instead of welded, which does play to the sustain of the shell. You want to could you explain that a little bit? Because maybe people have seen. So, for example, we know DW just released their version of a stainless kit, which is very limited in sizes and is reminiscent of Ludwig of old. Yeah. Um, but good. what, how does riveting or how does, how does that differ from a welded seamed rolled over shell versus a riveted with maple re-rings or riveted plate series? How can you, could you give a little explanation as to why those three are so dramatically different? Well, the, the way it works is basically once you've, once you've welded metal together, it becomes one piece. So if you were to hit on it, you know, bang on uh, the snare drum, a welded shell, no lugs, no nothing, just the shell with a rubber mallet, it would sustain a note okay. for quite a long time. Okay. With the rivets, because it's overlapped and, and um, basically... Uh, you know, squashed together with the rivets holding it. Now you have, you now you have a little bit of friction. And when you tap on that shell with a rubber mallet, it hits the same note, but it sustains dramatically less. I mean, it's very, very noticeable. Um, and for me, coming from doing a, a lot of studio stuff, I've always found that the sustain is what will make or break your drum sound. Once you have to start throwing a ton of crap on it to get 
get it to stop doing what you what it's doing and just you know keep it at a, a the note that you've tuned it at all of a sudden you're killing that pitch the more you put on it the the more the pitch actually comes up sometimes yep. you know and and you're now you're fighting it you're fighting your drum and now the drum isn't where it wants to be because now you've had to tune it up and what and, and all this other shit and it just it never really it never really worked for me um there's some companies out there that um live and die by this idea that the more your drum sustains the better it is and i i just i can't fathom how that is even you know something that's going to be worthwhile for any musician that wants to do any recording you know even live if your floor tom is just going on for days your sound engineers are gonna hate your guts you know i mean we're, we're, we're talking like throwing gates on there and tape and cotton balls and all this shit and it's just like man you're, you're making it very difficult to get a good drum sound you want your drum you want your drum to be you want it to have a note you want it to have it resonate and then you want it to stop <laughs> you know um so which is a, another reason why we we send our drums out with black dots it just kind of helps play to that uh, that idea of you want your drums to you want it to sing but not so much where it's just overbearing you know so the the riveted seams help with with that especially with the the toms and the bass drum but also on the snare drum uh they just they don't ring for days um some of the other things we do different with our snare drums is all of our snare drums are eight lug versus 10 yep. lug. Yep. Uh, you have, again, back to versatility. You have more range with an eight lug drum than you do with a 10 lug drum. Okay. And a Wait. lot of guys like to down tune their drums and a lot of guys like crank them up. You can get both of that, both of those with an eight lug, you know? So before we go too far. Yes. I'm pretty familiar why eight lug is different from 10, but I'd love to hear it from a builder's perspective. And I'd love for our listeners to hear it from the creator themselves. Why, like how, how much of a difference does two lugs really make? How many times have you had a 10 lug snare drum um, where you found that sweet spot where it's not cranked up too tight. It's just in a nice fat note. And halfway through your set, you look down and you see your tension rod sitting on the floor. <laughs> I've seen it for a couple players that have ridiculous tunings. And I, I admittedly, yes, I've seen that. Yeah, it, it happens a lot. I mean, even guys that crank their drums up, it'll still do it. Um, the thing is, is the more lugs on the drum the more the tension of the drum is dispersed amongst those lugs right so right. when you depending on where your tension is at if you want your drum to have like medium tension on a 10 lug snare drum those tension rods aren't under very much tension so as you hit it and that hoop starts flexing that tension rod starts backing out so now you're losing your your tuning faster you know, you're now you're after every song, you're going to have to start cranking it up a little bit just to keep it in tune. And uh, with an eight lug, you have more tension per tension rod and you have to crank it up just a little tighter to keep it at 
a medium tension. So now as you're playing it, the hoop is not flexing quite as much. It's more solid feeling and the tension rods under more tension. So it's less likely to back out as fast. Still backs out, just not nearly as fast. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so perhaps you could view it as with an eight lug, you're able to create a more contiguous drum <coughs> where you're allowing all that tension to create the rigidity within the drum, <coughs> excuse me, further stabilizing it maybe, where a 10 lug, you're able to keep the tension a little bit lower, but you're also adding that deflection or that dispersion of load over a wider area. I mean, I feel, I feel like you're trying to get a little too technical with it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's basically... I, that's my fault. <laughs> I mean, basically, you know, you you're able to keep your tension at lower tunings uh, with less lugs on your drum. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because back in the day, the only reason why drums came with less lugs is because they were using them as student models, less, less hardware, less cost. You can drop, you know, you, you can, you can drop the price to the end user, but what they didn't realize is that in doing so, they actually found the sweet spot for snare drums. Okay. That's, I mean, that's completely fair. Cause unfortunately I was always that mindset of with 10 lugs, I'm able to keep that drum a little bit stiffer with a little bit more control. But in reality, I'm working against myself based on the way you guys are building your drums with eight, because now I can change that tension a little bit more consistently at eight and still achieve that tuning with more consistency. Yeah. And you, and again, you have more range in your tuning, you know what I mean? And that, that's the biggest thing is having that range. Um, if you were, I mean, if you were to have a 12 inch Tom and you had 10 lugs on it, that thing would be cranked up so tight just because the tension rods would all be loose if you didn't, you yeah. know, at, at the note that you wanted. And I, I don't think more, I don't think more is better. Um, I mean, Gretsch had the five lug 12s and those are some of the best sounding 12 inch toms ever made. Um, we've gone to the point where we're doing six lug, 14 inch floor toms, because for me, a 14 inch floor tom is the most worthless drum ever made. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it, but it's, it's, it's only because it's only because traditionally we think 14 inch floor tom should have eight lugs. But the problem with having eight lugs is that there's too many lugs on the drum to get it to tune low enough to be a floor tom. And so for 14s, it, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of the death of the 14 for me. It's like you're you're too big to be a rack tom. You're too small to be a floor tom, which is why you're the perfect snare drum. <laughs> so we, so we started experimenting with it. And we're like, you know, let's do some let's do some six lug 14s. Well, with the six lug 14, now you can you can get the tension on the tension rods to where it's the head is taut and not floppy, and you get this note, and the note is so much lower than it would be if it was an eight. 
that's which really flies in the face of what everybody else says is incorrect. Now, <clears throat> I say that with the concept of you're doing four lugs less per drum, so you're taking more weight and mass off the shell, allowing it to vibrate the way that it should anyway. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't play by those rules. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think that removing hardware mass really makes much of a difference on okay. how the shell vibrates. I mean, okay. again, some of the best sounding drums I've ever heard were wrapped shells. You know, and, and the only thing that you would, the only audible difference that you'd ever be able to find from a wrap shell versus a stain shell or something like that is if you're actually looking at the sound wave itself you can't you can't hear it there's oh just, there's no way i totally agree with it, you and so with the hardware it, it's not it's not the the mass of the hardware either it's it's just that it, it's just that you have the tension of the head is dispersed uh in wider areas so now so you have you, again you have more tension per lug at lower tunings so with so, that mindset are you guys going to start when you produce 14 inch floor toms are you going to start producing them at six lug only well that's what we do now all right uh, we we started it about a year ago and it's made all the difference in the world for us as far as how the 14s come across to the people that are playing them Awesome. Yeah, it, it's it's made all the difference. And it, it now it's more of a floor tom, you know, which to me, unless you're playing jazz where you where you're cranking it up, that's where a 14 inch eight lug fits well. You okay. know what I mean? But the beauty is with the even with the six lug, you can still crank them up. And that well, goes back to the whole idea with the snare drums as well. The snare drums, when you have an eight lug, if you're if you're playing R and B and you really want to crank the shit out of that snare drum, you can still do it. But you can't down tune a ten lug snare drum to where you can an eight lug snare drum. You can't down tune an eight lug floor tom to where you can down tune a six lug floor tom. And still and still have the head be taut enough to have a note. And I've seen drummers that have just detuned their drums so much where the heads are literally flapping. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a sound for some guys, but it, it's not. Uh, for me. It's, yeah, it's not a good sound. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, we, we build drums for the way we tune drums. And, you know, when you're, when you're in a studio and you're working on a record and you want to, try unique tunings and and try different dampening and do all these different things that's where you experiment you know that's where you play with different things like tea towels and i mean you can you can do that live too but what but when you're looking for a drum kit you don't want a drum kit that is just that sound because of how it's built you know what i mean yeah i, I think i think you're doing yourself a disservice by by buying a one-trick pony drum kit I I couldn't agree more. So, you know, uh, heads are obviously a huge deal. Um, whatever type of head you use, you want your drums to be able to accentuate the sound of that head. 
mm-hmm. um, and the edge really plays to that. I mean, you could throw coated ambassadors all the way up to pinstripes on our drums, and you're going to get the sound of that head the way you have it in your mind. Which, again, just goes back to that utilitarian Swiss Army knife. Absolutely. You've got this in your quiver, and it's all you need. Absolutely. Now, you did mention, we we got on the conversation of lugs. You've used the beaver tail for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Is there a, and and I'm only, I'm kind of goading the witness on this one, because I know we've (laughs) spoken about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I know there's something in the works, but at the same time, I know it's such an arduous and challenged process. Oh, it's been the bane of my existence, Roger. It's been the bane of my existence. Um, oh, I can't even imagine. But but we have tooling currently being made. Well, that's good. For our love. Yes. That's awesome. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll see the first um, the first pieces uh late this year um no promises because i think i've said that a few times but but we actually are the the tooling is physically being made as we speak so that's a huge weight off my shoulders that's oh i can't even imagine yeah so we'll finally have our own unique look um that will truly be ours um you know you've seen you've seen Version Samples. one of that lug, yeah. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. Well, then it's a good thing I've had all this amazing patience. <laughs> I know. We've been talking. We've been working on this lug for probably five years now, maybe maybe longer than that. Uh, and I'm actually, to be fair, I'm really glad it took as long as it did because. If we had gone with the initial design, I think the initial design was awesome. And, you know, we made a very, very limited amount of them and we have them on a snare drum. And I still see that snare drum and it still makes me happy. But I also don't think that those lugs are timeless. Well, so, and for me, timeless, timeless is is key into what in what we do. And the lug that we are having manufactured to me is 100% timeless. Good. Yeah. Cause that's, I, there are a handful of instruments in the world that I believe are, would be considered heirloom instruments. And I think they should evoke that spirit and that feeling. Like I owned this for 40 years. It's now yours. I want you to own it for 40 years. And there should be that kind of, tradition that that kind of this thing just carries on i i oddly enough if you look at cars today people like a lot of the great cars that are available today but everybody still loves a muscle car everybody still loves a 57 chevy everybody still loves an old impala timeless they're just beautiful they're sculpted. Yeah. There's something about that that makes them just amazing and sexy in their own way. Yeah, I'm a I'm a car nerd. You know that. So. Oh yeah. I definitely. Uh, I'm definitely with you there. Now with that, 
<laughs> since we're going to go back in history a little bit, you raced bicycles. I did. On a very, very prolific team. I, I did. Uh, yeah, I used to ride with uh, Chevrolet, uh, uh, LA Sheriff Chevrolet, uh, yep. their junior their junior team. Yep. Uh, this was when I was uh, 14 through 18. Yeah, a lot, a lot of fun, a lot of cycling, a lot of miles. Um, however, you know, you and I went on that ride and you completely kicked my ass, which was great. Only up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I love cycling. You know, I, it's weird. I think that um, it, it, it's funny. My, I look at my cycling what what little career it was and the best part of my cycling was me being a mechanic for a professional mountain bike team when i was 17 um Crazy, you know, i got right? to tour the, yeah i got to tour the country and be a mechanic and i i sort of you know i i sort of liken that to my position now where i actually enjoy being the drum tech more than being the drummer mm-hmm. um and, and I've said this, I've said this uh, more times than, than I can count. Um, the majority of backline technicians, guitar tech, bass tech, drum tech, the majority of us are failed musicians that, that didn't, that didn't get the, the big break and just wanted to, you know, remain in the music industry. So they, they got jobs working as techs. Sometimes that could make you a little bit jaded you know i'm sure especially when you're setting up drums for somebody else to go be a rock star um but for me it was never it was never that i i never played drums to be in a band to be honest to ne- never to be a rock star in any way shape or form i actually you know i play because i love playing but I've always been more fascinated with the technical side of it. What makes a drum tick? What, you know, how can I make it sound better? How is this one particular drummer hitting it differently than this other drummer? And even though it's the same drum, it sounds completely different. How can I, you know, make it work for both? And that, and, and I get that from like my cycling days because I actually enjoyed making sure that the bikes were, perfect you know my dad owned a bicycle shop i was his head mechanic for years um and which shop was that it was a it was a shop in seal beach california called the discolette yep and uh and it was just a lot of fun you know um i built wheels um i actually got pretty well known for building uh wheels for the bmx guys um in that that era like mid 90s um and you know i kind of took that that idea into the drum world when i started playing drums started building drums that really again i've really found that the making of the instrument to me is equally as important as the the drummer who spent all his hours practicing it play, you know. Now it's funny that you mentioned that because 
as a kid, when I quit playing drums at 17 and fell into the cycling industry as well, I didn't understand that I had the mechanical aptitude to become a bicycle mechanic. Right. And as time went on and my time continued in that industry, I ascended to team mechanic, product R&D, you know, just a, a lot of different aspects of the cycling industry, not just racing, but on the product side, on the vendor side, on the retail side. And when I was swashbuckled back into playing music, my appreciation for drums and the technical aspect or the technology that goes into it, my brain immediately went to, okay, let's look a little deeper at this. Let's yeah. take a, a little bit harder look at why. Why this than that? Yeah, and absolutely. I think you have that, to have that mechanical mind to be able to do that. And I, I didn't realize I had it because as a, as a young person playing drums, I didn't care. Oh, there's duct tape and paper towels. Fantastic. It sounds good. Whatever. <laughs> uh, to be fair, though, duct tape and paper towels is a sound. And it's a sound that I probably use at least a quarter of the time that I'm in a in on a session no joke no, no joke no joke can we, can we get can we get that motown sound absolutely 100 percent done yep yeah it's that easy there it yeah. is <laughs> i mean there's a trick to it there's definitely a trick to it it's not just you know fuck it let's just throw some duct tape on it but you know you still want it to sound good but yeah it's definitely a sound that's, i love it well and that's and I think that's one of the reasons why I appreciate what you've done with Q-Drum is because there is that there is that analysis. There is that, let's take a hard look at this and look at why. Let's look yeah. at why we're going to use these materials for this application. Why are we doing maple re-rings and getting them pressed into these shells and then cutting our bearing edges? Like There, there was a process. There was an analytical moment of, this has to work better because let's test yeah. it much okay. like now you're doing 14 inch floor toms at six lugs. You've developed, you've figured out there is a reason why this will be better. Yeah. And, and that's something that just comes with time. You know, I mean, what, what we think works right now may not be what's working for us 10 years from now. Um, never say never, you know, uh, I, I, we always, we're always striving to make what we do better and not only better for the end user, but better for us production wise. So if it can be faster and cleaner, we want to go that route, you know, and, and there's so many times where we fail miserably, but that if you don't learn from those failures or if you don't fail and you don't learn from it, then you're never going to move forward. You're never going to progress, you know? Oh, totally agree. Now, there's always that question that we get here at the shop. You know, how does QDrum arrive at the kits that they deliver for NAM? How are they creating these custom kits that look so fantastic? I said, well, that's that's what makes them so special. Right. Well, could you could. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we do a lot of the, the patinas and that kind of stuff, and we just, we just brainstorm, really. I mean, we'll, we'll, uh, 
when it, when it comes time to build for Nam, what we do is we'll go spend like a couple hours at the uh, at the brewery, have a couple beers, <laughs> take a notepad, and just shoot the shit really, and just kind of think about different things that we want to do, what we want to see, what what worked for us in the past, what hasn't. Um, we always want to try new techniques with our our patina and see what it would work on and, and and that kind of thing so that that is a lot of fun and then once we have like the idea then we start to produce them and a lot of times it's pretty funny though even though we have it all planned out and laid out once we're in build mode we call audibles all the time <laughs> we do we really do like we'll be in the middle of something and it'll be like well, that's fucked up. That didn't work out so well, but we still need to use this. Hey, let's try this, and then we have to do that to all the drums. It's it's pretty fun, but it but it works. It's just you know it's it's our own method to our madness, I guess. Well, for our listeners, there there are several people that understand what NAM stands for and what it is. Uh, the National Association of Musical Merchandisers is our annual trade show here in the states. Uh, I, I will admit personally, I've, I've had mixed emotions about the direction of NAM as an organization, as well as the trade show itself. Oh, we're going to get political now, are we? No, 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 no. <laughs> Just perspective. Sure, sure. You know, one of the things that I think our industry has done a really good job at is pitting retailer against retailer instead of expanding our reach. Right. Um, I, I, I agree. And I liken it to if I were to ask you two questions, who's the number one shoe company and what's the number one soft drink in the world? Your responses would be Nike and Coca-Cola for sure. Every single time. Yeah. And, and I, and I, and I bring this, this up with, various representatives of multiple industries, but specifically within ours, because our industry loves to hide products from the buying public instead of showing them more. Yes. Well, definitely, definitely at this particular trade show, I, I, yeah, the people with the money are the ones that get the, get all the love and get all the promotion and, and that, um, it's funny because uh, I guess we are going to get a little music business political here. Um, one of my favorite builders, uh, Jefferson, he owns Sugar Drums. Mm -hmm. And his drums are absolutely beautiful. They're all stave built. Yeah. Um, they, sound, they sound ridiculous. He attended NAM one year. And he got basically the size of two booths, which is a 10 by 20. Not, it's not a lot of space, it's, you know, 200 square feet. And nothing came of it for him. Yeah. And it was really, it was really disheartening because number one, you go to that show looking to i guess it depends on what your what your 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 motive is either yes. you're looking for you're either looking for dealers 
or you're looking for artists to play your drums or which you know goes against everything that everybody says about nam but yes people people get endorsements at nam show yep fair enough not the guys that sit down on the kit and start wailing away you'll never get an endorsement but (laughs) never uh, or you get magazine coverage and unfortunately, there's not much going on in, mag- in the magazine world anymore. Everything's going to be online, so you should be able to find it regardless. But there's not enough attention to the boutique uh, companies that are really like doing something unique and, 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 and making a difference. And the only way you get that is if you spend a little bit of extra money on advertising, spend a little bit of extra money to get you your contact information added to the directory and all this other bullshit that is absolutely unnecessary you know it's like you said it it should be a show to showcase everybody and yeah. only people that get showcased are the people that spend the money and that's just you know that's life in general unfortunately oh yeah um but you know it was really sad to see to see jefferson leave disheartened because of because of his showing at nam and he had a beautiful booth he had beautiful gear uh the drums you know they sounded they didn't sound their best in that room because there was a hundred other drum companies with a thousand drummers beating the shit out of the drums you couldn't tell what was being heard And, and the same goes for us i mean people come and play our drums and it's like you know, I, th- I think they sound good, but how can you tell, you know, how can you tell when some dickhead across the way is blazing chops on a fucking drum kit while you have a dealer trying to tap on the drum to see how it resonates or, or whatever, you know? And uh, that's sort of the plight of Nam. You just don't, you, you just don't go in getting what you want out of it ever, unless you're, you know, massive and you can afford your own banquet hall in the holiday inn or something like that you know what i mean so well and it's it's very similar to what happened to the interbike trade show for the cycling industry yeah absolutely one of the one of the big things that i remember from that trade show in particular it took place in october and granted i'm old and at the time you never saw any of the new gear until that trade show. Yes. And then that gear wasn't available until January. Well, yes. now in the cycling industry, now being mirrored by the music industry, you're seeing product releases on a constant basis. The trade show is becoming unnecessary and there's nothing new and fresh. Like, Admittedly, my last my last NAM show, and I'm only bringing this up as a point of contention. You know, one of my vendors that saw me there said, "Roger, you look miserable." I said, "There's nothing exciting. There's nothing new. There's no reason to be here. Like there wasn't anything that was. Oh my God, I've got to go see that. That is the coolest thing I've heard about. Right. Like there there wasn't anything." 
I mean, I admittedly, I appreciated getting to, to run into you, run into Elon, run into to everybody else that we work with here at our store and, you know, and, and have a quick whiskey and share a laugh. And all those things mean something to me intrinsically. But as a whole, the, the level of excitement, the level of, oh, my God, have you seen this? This is one of the coolest things. I've, like, there's been nothing inspirational. I think it's too expensive for, you know, the up and coming builder or, or inventor to try and throw caution to the wind and just hope for, you know, go for the Hail Mary and and show up in them. I think it's just, it's too expensive with such little exposure. Um, The best bet for any small builder, any small, again any inventor is to really just try and get it be get their product in the hands of people that that play it i mean i hate to say i hate to use the term influencer um because that's taken on a whole nother oh geez realm but but to be fair i mean that's why that's why we have endorsement endorsement um endorsement deals with guys you know it's like you find a good band that you really love and try and get them to play your drum you know or or play your product uh, i definitely try to promote products that i 100 percent stand behind um i feel like with q drum co we have enough of a platform it's not it's not big but it's it's enough to try and get get it out for some people number my number one go-to for anything dampening wise is snare weight um they're incredible they're the best it's the best product out there for for drum dampening if you need if you want to dampen your snare drum a little bit you you come they have obviously like a whole slew of shit but you're not going to see them at now you know what i mean you're not you're not going to see them because it's such an affordable product yeah and it's such a it's so expensive to show it now people are just going to walk by it because they're like you don't have any artists here you don't have you know why why should we come by your booth you know and it's unfortunate because literally that that their snare weight m1 has revolutionized how i tune drums tune my tune snare drums wow um because I don't have to deal with moon gel. Moon gel is the worst shit I've ever had to deal with. You know, just because stick shavings get in it. If you if you're working for a long haired drummer, you get you got to pull nasty hair out of it. I mean, come <laughs> on. It's 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 disgusting. It's disgusting. If it if it sits on the head and it's in the back of a truck and you're and you know. By chance, you're going through Ohio or Nebraska when it's, you know, 95 degrees with, you know, 80% humidity in the middle of the summer. And that shit melts to the top of the head. It's just it's just disgusting, you know. Snare weight clips on. You can take it off. It's got a little magnet on it so you can, you know, flip it up while you're playing and, and, yep. and open up your drum. So, yeah, I mean, I love stuff like that. Uh Obviously, like the case companies, uh, Tackle, uh, Scott is 
he's amazing and he has some great stuff. But personally, I think the best place to go check out drums and and and, and the thing is, is like Nam isn't open to the public. You know, even though a lot of a, a lot of people get in, it's not open for the to the public, which sucks because those that's are your, your buyer. That's yeah. your that's your buyer. That's your customer Ex- base. Exactly. So, so it makes it doesn't make sense for for Nam to not allow that, especially when a lot of the dealers or a lot of the uh, manufacturers are um, straight to consumer. Yep. You know. Um, which, why would they go to NAMP if it's only for dealers? Yep. Um, but like going to the small vintage and custom shows in, in your, in your, in your local is that's the way, that's the way forward. I mean, Chicago has a great, um, vintage show. Hollywood has a great vintage show. Um, I know Nashville has a great vintage show and same with Texas, uh, you can find you can go to all these different vintage shows at, and you can go in as just a drummer you're, you're, you're standard yeah just a drummer you uh, some guy who wants to buy some shit you know and see what see what's new i mean that should be the focus should be on that really i mean screw nam <laughs> well yeah, okay and in all fairness and i don't want to stay on this too long because there's a few other things that i want to touch on i've had reps sit across from me and give me the spiel of, hey, we'd like to open you, but, you know, this and that and that politic. My instant response is, open up 50 more retailers in Tulsa. I don't care. You're the one hiding your product, not me. Right. Like, let's be fair. Does Nike give a rat's ass if two pallets of their shoes fall off a truck, air quotes as I make them, and they end up in Tom's busted ass van outside of an abandoned gas station no they don't no. care people are still going to buy the shoes yeah absolutely so why is our industry so quick to hide one of the most important aspects of human culture why why do they do it like that's and and that gets into a whole philosophical thing but that's why are we not trying to increase that pie why are we not trying to show why aren't drums in gq magazine why aren't guitars inside of people magazine why are we not showing the other 65 billion people on this planet hey playing a musical instrument is cool as shit have you seen it (laughs) yeah there's that there's that i wouldn't mind seeing more drummers out there everybody wins yeah i agree i mean music music in general would would win yeah, it's good for kids too. I mean, you want to be good in math, you want to be good in English, you want to be good in science, you want to be able to pay attention, play play music. It's, play it's, music. It's proven. It's proven, you know. Well, and then we can avoid songs like Umbrella. Uh, well, you, hey, to be fair though, to be fair, <laughs> I mean, I I grew up in hip-hop culture i mean i I grew up in long beach and the majority of my music when i was you know 10 to 18 was rap hip-hop and punk rock i mean that was that was that yeah uh 
I, I think that the people that, even though it's, it's, it's made for the masses and to the musician, to the trained musician, that music is painful, but it still takes a trained musician to make that music. So we, totally we got to give it, to, we got to give it to the people that are producing and writing. Uh, a lot of times it's teams of people producing and writing the songs in which you hate the most, you know? Oh, absolutely. But it does go to show that there is still money to be made in the music industry, even though it may not be as a rock star. Agreed. Because, you know what I mean? So uh, I, I can't tell you how many friends I have that write music for sitcoms mm -hmm. and commercial spots. I mean, we're talking... 30 seconds worth of music where it's an entire song in 30 seconds. I mean, that, that takes skill, That's even skill. though, even if it's something that you don't want to listen to, you're not going to put that on repeat. You know what I mean? But it's still like, they are talented, you know? And, and well, I do, I do. And I do think that, uh, even songs like umbrella and that kind of shit, I don't listen to it, but it did take somebody who, who went, went through their paces paid their dues and learned how to write and read and listen to music and, you know, and play music. So it's always yes. the bonus. Like I, we, we spend a lot of time here at the shop talking to young people about the, the benefit of learning programming drum tracks, learning electronic music, learning your acoustic drums and playing them well but there's this new skill set that also has to be developed for a drummer that's looking at a future in playing music in the music industry. You have to be able to do those things now. That's becoming oh, a requirement. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the thing is, electronics are gonna, aren't going to go away. I, I am certainly not a purist in, in thinking that that acoustic drums are the only way forward i love electronics i love the the palette that that opens up to you when you have electronics at your disposal i mean the oh, yeah. kind of shit that you can come up with it's it's so amazing yep um and and i think it's just i think it's necessary i think if you're i think if you're a drummer and you truly want to be a well-rounded musician and you just you know you should look at it as something fun you know we, it is fun. It is fun. Like that was one of my biggest things as a young person growing up in Southern California when I was playing drums. I had an amazing acoustic at home. My kid at home was fantastic. I would go to the drum shops and look at all the electronic stuff that I didn't own. Like, t tell me about that. Show me how that works. Like that was for me one of those things. And and in that same vein, you know looking at the future especially now if we're touching on the political climate like we just got hit pretty heavy with some of the later effects of the tariffs on asian countries oh yeah we just took a major hit on one of our primary vendors that accounts for about 25 percent of our floor yeah i mean it it negatively impacted us in a way that I was flabbergasted by. Like I know with 
with metals and materials and that sort of thing, are you guys, is Qdrum experiencing some of that next wave of, holy Absolutely. crap. Absolutely. Um, we've, we, we're, we're trying to take steps to help minimize it as much as possible. But yeah, we're we're absolutely getting hit by it. I mean, there there's no there's no um, getting around it. I mean, the majority of hardware for drums comes from China, overseas. Yeah, so overseas. I mean, we build our own shells, uh, or we build our own metal shells, and then our wood shells are made in made in. America, uh, we don't build them, but um, yeah. uh, we, we, use, we use Keller. Uh, so we, you know, it, we do, we still feel the brunt because the, our hardware supplier, has, you know, obviously has had to hike up their, their prices to accommodate for the ridiculous tariffs. I mean, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. Um, We have looked at having our hardware made in the states, um, but it is so it, it it's twice the cost to have it made in the states, yes. even with tariffs. And that's an unfortunate thing. That goes. That's a whole. That's a whole nother. That's a different you know, conversation. Yeah. So now, um, with your materials, though, with your primary, with your core materials that you use for shells. Is some of that coming across the water as well, and you're having to deal oh, with yeah. that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we 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 don't buy it direct from overseas. We buy it from uh, a metal supplier that's local. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and they they get them. Um, they get our sheets from all over the place, all over the world. It, 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 you know, so sometimes they'll get copper from China. Sometimes they'll get copper from um europe sometimes they'll get copper from south america it, it just it depends on how much they can get at the time and what the price is um aluminum same deal um so yeah it, it's we we definitely feel the pain the way that the co- the way copper uh fluctuates in price is absolutely insane it's really hard for us to keep up with it so you know we've we have we price our copper to um, contend with the fluctuation in the price, you know. So sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes we're okay, sometimes we're getting hurt, but we would rather it we'd rather maintain a price than have it changing every two months to our, our to our end user because I just don't think it's fair, you know. Well, are you since some of that material does come from alternative locations throughout the planet, do you see a discernible difference in the quality? The, the, well, not so much just the quality, but the consistency of tone. Like for example, uh, I firmly believe, and I and and I may be completely wrong. Again, this is me just maybe being my fanciful self. But I believe there is something that happens with the bronze that comes out of Turkey that doesn't happen elsewhere in the world. And I may have mainly for symbols. 
for symbols in particular. And I say that because maybe it's the impurities. Maybe it's the thousands of years of doing it. Maybe it's the pollution. Maybe there's something going on with the relative smelting process there over these centuries that has caused this thing. I don't know. Like, are that's, you that's, saying... that's, a, that's definitely a romantic way to look at it, and, and I don't disagree. Um, but I, I don't, I'm referencing. Like, do you see the difference in your shell material from around yeah, the world? We don't know because okay. because the thing is because the thing is is that there's so much more that goes into the building of a drum then there is a symbol and I, and I, and I don't mean in the actual physical making of I symbol symbol makers are absolutely mind boggling when, with what they do and how they make a symbol sound the way they make it sound. I mean, it's, it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. But, but what I mean is a symbol is just that piece of metal. So however the process is of, of the, uh, uh, you know, of, the smelting of the metal to the lathing to the pounding to all of that shit it's still the metal from wherever it comes from and and i can see how maybe that is going to be you know very specific to its region um for us it could be copper from anywhere and once we build it into a shell it is going to react the same to patina because of the steps that we take before we actually patina. Okay. Um, and, and all the other, um, external, uh, uh, bits that go into the drum, the drum making process, the wood re-rings, the glue, the rivets, the heads, the hoops, you know what I mean? All of that shit, uh, has that, that is what will make or break the drum sound more so than the metal itself and and, and you won't be you won't be able to hear the difference between the two because that was because you know in the old days of cycling let's let's just take the big red s and for that i mean specialized specialized biggest contention was all s works products were what the team raced on and in particular the s works frame sets were built built stateside the M M four or M two, whatever. M two, yeah. The M twos and M fours were all built stateside. Like yeah. that was the big, big thing. Now, all S Works material is built overseas. Yeah. And it is what the team races. So, I'm not. My question really wasn't based around quality of construction because I stand here every single day and I tell people, like, look. You know, the United States has a GDP of less than 3%, which means we make less than 3% of the goods that we consume. Yeah. So other countries have gotten really good at making shit. Yep. I mean. Exceptional. Exceptional. I, unbelievably exceptional. Yeah. And so much so that they dominate the global market. Yeah. But I think my question more was really geared towards that. How is that consistency and since you're not seeing it, you know, in terms of there's no degradation, whether the material comes from location A, B, C, or D, it, it, it's such a minute part of the equation that if there was a variance, you really wouldn't see it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
See, and that's awesome. So that allows you to have that consistency with being able to to buy as smart as you possibly can. Yeah. And yeah, in this it, marketplace, it definitely works for us. So, as I said earlier in this discussion, I am truly enamored with the instruments that you guys create. And I have been for years. You guys were one of the first email phone calls I made when I decided to open the shop. When, when you're approached by somebody that has a love for your product or is looking at their, what I consider their forever kit, how much does that impact the way you guys do the build or do you put the same emphasis in your build quality or let's just say that extra something that's in it like does it does it does it change anything or do you put the same amount of kind of vibe and feel into every kit well that's that's our number one thing is we build we build every drum as if we were building it for ourselves cool that i think that that's the most important part of what we do that's why we don't build drum or that's why we don't have drums built overseas i mean not that not that that would make any difference but you know with whatever with you know with whatever it is that we do with our drums you know we are drummers we know what we're looking for we know what we want out of our drum and one of our big things is we assemble all the drums completely before we ship so we know that it all works and it sounds the way we want it to and you know we've we've pulled them apart and re-edged before we've refinished before we've done so many things because if it's not going to go out the way we would want to um um get that product then there's no point in doing what we do well we're not we're not we're not here we're not here to make cheap cheap shitty drums you know do you with that in mind do you feel that was shall we say part of maybe a small reason why you and Max were at a point you were with Orange County where you're just like you saw you saw the tsunami wave that was coming that was a direction you guys didn't want to go no no i hey look i man i think that having inexpensive drums is the greatest thing ever the more people that can afford and get drums and play drums just to fucking mm-hmm. play them is that's more important than you buying drums from me. Cool. 100%. I would I would rather there be $200 drum kits in the world so people can just sit behind them and feel how good it is to actually play some drums, you know? Uh, but what happened for us is it wasn't our choice to to leave. Okay. It, it was it was just there wasn't work for us um you know when kids found out that they could you know buy travis barker lookalike drum kit for eight hundred dollars instead of thirty eight hundred dollars it made sense why they went there why they went and bought the import versus the usa made you know 
And when there wasn't a need for us anymore, that's, you know, that that's what happens. And, and unfortunately, you know, it didn't, it didn't work out the way we wanted to. It, I hope it worked out the way that the owners wanted it to. Um, because they're still friends. I, I love them to death. And, and, you know, and I know that they made that decision in their best interest, you know, mm-hmm. as, as, as they should. Yep. Um, so for us, we, we love, we love the process. Like I said before, the building of the drum and, and the tech, the tech side of it is just, it's always been more fun for me personally, I can't speak for Max, but it's been it's been more fun for me to do that, and that's why I continue to build drums, and that's why I started Q in the first place. You know, do I think I have something more to offer drummers than any other company? No, I, I, I'm selling the same thing. It's just my take on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I appreciate and I love the fact that people are willing to listen to what we have to say as far as how we build they love you know the feedback on our drums has been nothing but positive and it and it feels good it means you know it tells me that we are doing something right you know um i i think that what what should be focused on really is teaching drummers how to tune their instruments Oh god! Oh because god! Most most drummers, you know, and this is this is why I'm I'm a tech. Is the majority of drummers spend so much time learning to play their drums as they should that they don't really take the time to learn how to tune their drum. There isn't a there isn't a uh, box that you plug your drum into that tunes your drums for you the way that they should be tuned. Sure, there's drum bot and tune bot or whatever it is but that's not how drums are tuned drums are an acoustic instrument they have their own voice it's not something that you can i'm going to make this drum sound like a g you know it it doesn't work that way (laughs) you know oh compared to what compared to that other vendor that'll tell you differently uh well I mean, hey, marketing, you know. <laughs> hey, I got I almost got kicked out of the tour, so don't worry. Trust me, there's uh, no love lost there. <laughs> I, yeah, I just I, I don't I don't buy it and I, I just think having a fundamental idea of how to get your drums to at least sound acceptable. Because I, I think the majority of majority of drummers can't even do that. No, um, I, I think it's a big deal, and, and I'm not. I'm not knocking people. I, I I applaud them for spending the time to learn how to play the drums. But at the same time, you need to learn what your instrument does, the craft, how to make and how to make it, and how to make them sound the way that you want them to sound. And now, I'm not saying that I'm the foremost authority. Um, I have I have the way I tune. and I know other drum techs have their way of tuning, and will come. We'll, we'll be completely different. Or we'll, we'll make the drum set sound completely different. But that doesn't matter. It's does it sound good? That's all that matters, you know. So I, I think that if just people spent some time and, and learned that, learned what heads do what, 
you know, it, it's all part of it. That's that. I think that that is is most important because you can take a three hundred dollar drum kit and you can make it sound phenomenal. Yes, you can. Choose the right heads, tune them the right way. You're done. You're done. And that and that to me, it just goes to show that you know what we do isn't isn't special in the sense that only our drums sound good. You know what I mean? If we're not special in that way, what we do is we just do something unique and it has a specific tone. And if you know how to tune your drums, you can accentuate that tone. So let's, so I know you're getting short on time because you got a lot to do and you've got to get back to sleep. Um, going back to the fact that you were a wheel builder, here's a great, this will be a great example as to how two different builders build wheels. When you're lacing your hub, let's say you're lacing a rear hub. Mm -hmm. Do you lace the drive side first? And do you do a certain way? Do you lace all the spokes at once? Do you do some in increments? Like what? And I'm only going to use this as a reference point. Oh, yeah. Well, it's actually funny because I used to lace wheels very similar to how I tune drums. Okay. And what I would do is I would, I would, I would spoke the whole wheel. And then I would, I always put the nipple up to a specific thread mm -hmm. to where everything was loose. And then if, if I'm doing a three cross or something like that, then I'll twist the hub um, and then, and then run the opposite spokes. But, uh, I would always get get it to where it's a whole wheel, and then once you have all the nipples to a specific thread, I start using two. I would use two keys and do the opposites, and then then go go you know um, a cross pattern, and then just keep doing that until I got them all tensioned to the same amount of turns. Which is the same thing I do with drums. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, because the way the way you build wheels, it really, I mean, you, you start, you ha you're going to have to start on one side or the other, either it's the drive side or the, or the non-drive side. But I don't do any of the tensioning until everything is laced. Which, that, which is... If that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, that's... So where... So what I would do, and this is just for illustrative purposes, I would do eight spokes, drive side, eight spokes, drive side the other way, flip the wheel over, and then do eight the spokes, side. yep, eight spokes and eight spokes. And again, same thing. Once there was maybe two threads still exposed, that gave me a loose wheel, and then the tensioning process would begin. So yeah. where... I, I always looked at in a fully spoked wheel as this giant cacophonous mess. Like I couldn't see the build that way. I oh, had to, yeah, like I had to simplify it and go the opposite direction. So much like you and how you applied your build process to tuning drums, I now tune drums in a similar process. I do rezo side first, yeah. then I do batter side. That that's only I only do that for when I'm tuning though. 
you know. Um, and as far as like tensioning the 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 wheel, it, it just you know I well using using the similarities like with a drum, I put the heads on, I tension the 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 lugs with two keys always mm-hmm. opposite from each other, and then you know, and then I cross pattern and um and i'll tension up the bottom and then i'll tension up the top but it's just tensioning not Mm -hmm. tuning and then i'll flip then i'll I'll put a little bit of pressure on the head to to get them to you know stretch a little bit and then i always tune bottom first and and that's just because with with drums I'm tuning different notes. I, I mean, I wouldn't say notes. I'm not tuning two specific notes, but there is definitely an interval between the top and the bottom head. Whether it's thirds or quarters or whatever, it, it doesn't matter. It's There's an interval. It's what sound. It's just whatever that drum wants to sound best as. Wait, stop right uh, there. Stop right yes. there. I am a firm believer that that is more of a specific case than anything else. The drum is going to sound a certain way because of its construction, the yes. materials, all the individual components are going to make that drum sound its best at a certain level. Yes. 100%. I totally agree. Okay. I am a firm believer in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't buy the, I've got to tune this drum to a specific note. That's what this drum's going to be because the thing is, is it's not. It's not going to be that. And if you try and force it into it, it's just not going to sound good. And then once you, once you beat it, you know, six or seven times, it doesn't, it's not in that same note anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah. now it's flat. Exactly. So you, you just, you just tune it to where it sounds good and full and, and with a quick, with a quick decay. So it's not overbearingly long sustain and you'll be good. And, and you know, that's how it should be. Now with wheel with wheels, I like I said, I tension I tension them all to a specific point, and then once I put it on the touring stand, it's 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 a matter of what which direction it needs to go. You know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely. If if I gotta pull it right, then I'll do the drive side. If I gotta pull it left, you know, and same thing. You know, sometimes you gotta. And this is the thing about tuning. Sometimes you've gotta loosen the high notes. To get it to where you want it to be, not just keep tensioning up and up and up. Yep. So. Well, it again, it goes. I I I firmly believe everything that I learned as a bicycle mechanic and now apply to my my drum craft mentality truly comes through on a regular basis. You know, you know, it's funny. I know more drummers that are cyclists as well than i ever thought I, I, like maybe it's just the thing if you're a drummer you're like <laughs> i i don't i don't get it it's it's really strange to me well we built a team around it we now have we now officially have 14 people that are drummers that now are cyclists oh that's awesome that is awesome well, because here's let's talk about and I know I mean, we're running short on time. It's you know, we're almost two hours in. and I don't want to keep you much longer. But you talk about being a drummer. That's a physical instrument. Yeah, it is 
everything about linear and rotational movement and you're twisting and you're breathing, but yet you're all in a fixed location. Cycling is linear and circular and you're in a fixed location. How could, how could you not benefit as a drummer by riding a bike? Yeah, absolutely. Your, your fitness improves, your health improves, your breathing improves, your blood flow improves, your muscle durability and sustainability all improve. The only thing that doesn't improve is if you're a mountain if you're mountain biking and you crash. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, like my finger's still swollen, thanks. Uh, no. Speaking hey, of, know, how's your ankle? My ankle is good. My ankle is 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 good actually. Well, I've been I've been doing a lot more running than I have been uh, cycling, sadly. But well, you live in a beautiful place to be able to just get out and run or ride. So, yeah, yeah. How's, and the family's good. Family is fantastic. Yeah, uh, uh, my daughter, five years old. She just she uh, just started rock band at her school. What? Yeah. See, that's that's super a, awesome. That's that's actually the beauty of. One of the things that um, helped us make the decision to move to where we live, it's it's a small mountain town um, uh, just above Palm Springs, and it's uh, it's a, a music and art community. Uh, we have a high school there called Idlewild High School of the Arts, and um, it's a boarding school, kids from all over the world go there for jazz and dance and you know art and, and whatever theater so the elementary school works really hard to try to get um local kids into one of those fields so that they can get a scholarship to go to the high school because it's a, it's really expensive to go to the high school it's not expensive to live where we live. It's just expensive to go to the high school. And if they don't go to that high school, they get bussed down the mountain to one of various um, high schools. Um, so, you know, she's in kindergarten and uh, they already have her doing rock band. Um, I actually helped them set up uh, three drum kits uh, for the class. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, don donated a bass. I'll be donating some more drums, and um, yeah, it's just it's just really cool to see. I mean, all the kids just love playing instruments. It none of them know how to play yet, but that's not the point. They're having fun just playing with them, you know. And obviously, my daughter has a drum kit. She asked me for one when she was three, and uh, she plays the shit out of it. I mean, every night she she beats the crap out of those drums. Um, she won't, <laughs> she won't learn from me. She, she will not take lessons from me, but, uh, she, she definitely, I could see, I could see her wanting to play some drums. So That's it's, awesome. it's just cool. It's super cool. Yeah. Well, I think, I think more schools need to, um, take note of that and just, I mean, watching these kids light up as soon as like they grab an instrument, they don't know what they're doing, but they're just going to strum the guitar. They're going to, you know, smack the keys on the piano or blow a trumpet or something like it sounds like complete racket. But when you watch them, their little minds are like, we're playing music. <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool. 
Well, Jeremy, I, I know you, again, I know you got to get to sleep cause you still have a long, long day in the saddle. I I'm very grateful for you taking the time with us on, on too stupid to know that I can't. And I, I am truly enamored with everything that you guys have been doing and what you've done for us as a store and just having you as a friend has always been just a very, very wonderful, wonderful thing. And I can never thank you enough. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, I second that sentiment towards you as well. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully sooner than later, we'll be able to get on the bike and I'll try and keep up. Well, (laughs) I just, I'm still, I'm still kind of recovering from the Breck Epic. That race really kicked my butt. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I, uh, hopefully, I'll be home for a little while after this tour is over, and uh, I can get back into uh, get back into form. And we talked about it before about doing one of those uh, one of those races. Speaking of which, actually, we're having uh, the San Jacinto Enduro, which isn't a race, but it's about a hundred hundred mile ride. Um, over the course of two days with camping in my mountains. That's uh, awesome. October 27th. If you have nothing to do, you should, uh, you should come hang out. Holy crap. That's awesome. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be beautiful too. Perfect. Uh, weather. The weather's going to be unreal. Yeah. Well, get to bed, get some rest. I know you got a lot of work to do and you've got to get at least get a couple hours of shut eye before the chaos begins. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast, Roger. No, no, no. Thank you for taking the time. I know your schedule is pretty crazy, but be safe. Be good out there. Have a lot of fun. And, man, thank you again, Jeremy. I really appreciate your time, brother. Awesome. Talk to you soon. All right, brother. Bye. Bye. There's a light that shines off in the distance. We may never know of its name. Where wealth is not measured in substance. And pleasure's not writhing in pain Your promises led me to ruin Your kiss foretold of my grave And I'll gladly embrace the destruction And drink the remains of the day And as you go to sleep tonight There's no need for a guiding light I've got the whole world left to roam And I'm not coming home